13 has uh, several parables about the kingdom of heaven. This is what scholars call the third great discourse of Matthew. <coughs> Matthew has five discourses where, where Jesus essentially sits down with people and says a bunch of stuff all at once. So chapter 13 of Matthew, this is the first parable of his third big discourse. Uh, so I'm going to read it, and then I will I'll ask you if anything stands out, and then we'll move on with the parable itself. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the lake. Such great crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat there, while the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, Listen, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell on the path, and the birds came and ate them up. Other seeds fell on the ground where they did not have much soil, and they sprang up quickly since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell on the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and brought forth grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Let anyone with ears listen. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what is sown in the heart. This is what was sown on the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet such a person has no root, but endures only for a while. And when trouble or persecution arises on account of the word, that person immediately falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world and the lure of wealth choke the word, and it yields nothing. But as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. Lectio Divina, what, what stands out to you in that story? Not, you don't have to have a reason why, for some reason it just stands out to you. Keep the faith. Okay? I had uh, scorched and then the second, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in the heart. That stands out to you. Listen, listen, listen. Yeah. Because something is key here. 
characters can have meaning, right? And so this is actually one of the parables we have where Jesus explains the meaning. It's not, I don't have to spend a whole lot of time giving background information because Jesus' explanation of what he means is pretty straightforward. And he doesn't do this with a lot of his parables, uh, only a handful, but this is one of them where he does. Um, so as we look at this parable, we have five characters that he presents. So the sower is God. The seed is Jesus' kingdom message. That's how I phrased it. What the text says is Jesus' word um, is not word in the sense that John means word. The beginning is the word. Uh, but it's, it's very much Jesus' proclaimed message. Um, and, and I've said before, Jesus' message is a kingdom-centered message. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. But the seed is specific. It's not... Can't say it's anything else but that. The seed is Jesus' word about the kingdom of heaven as he's proclaiming it throughout Galilee and Judea. The field in this story, uh, you imagine yourself one singular field, like any kind of a farm, a plot of earth, right? That field represents the entire world. However, for Jesus' audience, it represents the entire uh, Judean world. There's really not a whole lot for them that exists outside of say probably 99.9% .9 are illiterate, um, so they're not well read about the world around them. They know of Rome's existence because Rome is occupying their land. Um, so Rome exists somewhere, but for, for, for these folks, it's that Judean kind of uh, country. Is the, so that's their whole world. And then the parts of so we've got the, the rocks, the path, the thorns, and the good soil. That represents the actual people who are there here. Or us, if we're the ones reading this story. We are not the seeds. We are the plot of earth. Right? That's, I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't phrase it that way in my sermon. It's an allegory. It's number one. It's not a literal story. It's an allegory. 
Well, not always, right? Because we talk about Easter. A parable is a story where its meaning has more value than its validity. All right? And often it can be outright. Two, it is conveying a truth that the speaker believes in. In this case, it's Jesus. That doesn't mean it's a truth of the universe. It's a truth of that speaker. If we're going to say that Jesus is omnipotent, and Jesus knows all the truths of the universe, then maybe we can say it's, it's a truth of the universe. Um, but it's, it's a truth that that speaker believes in. Lewis Carroll wrote a story called, no, who wrote a Christmas carol? Dickens. Dickens. Dickens wrote a story called a Christmas carol. That's a parable, right? It's an allegory. It is conveying a truth that Dickens believed in, and that is that living a life of selfishness and self-centeredness is not a benefit to one's life, but living a life of generosity and love and compassion is the key to happiness. Is Dickens right? Is that a universal truth? Maybe. Maybe. So in the Bible are all the parables coming from, is Jesus the speaker in those parables? In the, in the Gospels, yes. And then number three, it's provocative or it's offensive. Now you might look at this story and say, I don't see anything provocative or offensive about this story. But remember, Jesus is talking to peasant people. A lot of them are fishers, commercial fishers, meaning that Rome is taxing the majority of what they're bringing in. Or two, they're farmers. And again, they're probably uh, sharecroppers. They probably don't own the land that they farm. And they're probably giving most of what they earn to somebody else. But the only way they're going to feed themselves is if they yield enough of the crop. Now, if you are a poor farmer and you have this much seed, what are you going to do with that seed? You're probably going, the to, best soil. You're going to look for the best soil ahead of time, and you're going to do your best to make sure all of that seed gets into that good soil. What does the sower do in this parable? He just throws it everywhere. So not only is God stupid, that's what I said, God's stupid, right? But God is, is, is stupidly generous. We're talking about people who live every day with scarcity. And here you have a God who is so generous that God is just throwing the seed in. Right? This is absolutely a story that is meant to be told up against the experience of scarcity. It's a story of God's abundant generosity. Is it also offensive because of the focus on the wealth? Um, and that if you're focusing on wealth, that you're like the horns that choke away from the message. And is that looking at the I mean, it would have been offensive to those leaders, but it would not have been offensive to the majority of the people gathered there listening that day. Yeah. Um, so the sower is God. God's crazy. Um, and that's why. And yet God sows the abundance of God's word through Jesus as opposed to the scarcity of the hierarchical system. Then we get into the plots of, of, uh, of earth that the seeds fall on. And each of these have their own meaning. This is not necessarily a fixed meaning, each of them. I mean, that's what I love about parables. Parables can speak to us at different times throughout the history of, of humanity. Um, and, and we're dealing with two audiences here that I want you to understand. The first audience is the audience around the historical Jesus, the people who are hearing this parable for the first time. Then there's the audience that Matthew has. Matthew is writing this gospel down. He's got a very different audience. These are people who are alive um, probably around 50 years after Jesus. Um, so Matthew's dealing with a different audience than Jesus is. So 
I'm going to say is kind of what the historical Jesus was probably talking about with this parable. So the, the ones that fall on the path where the sparrows come and grab it, this is anybody who's collaborating with love. This is people who want to uh, outwardly look like they are seeds in the good soil, but something is coming and snatching them. And that is this, this very, very intricate collaboration system of Rome. Uh, we've talked about this at length. Rome would conquer an area and then immediately collaborate with that area's leaders, make them wealthy, so that they can keep their people in control. So again, Jesus talking about the evil one is about the antithesis of God's kingdom, which in this case is probably love. So it's, and it's not the, the seeds, or the, the path doesn't represent the Romans, probably represents the temple leaders or the local leaders who have been collaborating with them. Um, and, then, and then very much interconnected to that, the ones who are on the thorns, the one lured by wealth, um, you, you probably have the same people who are collaborating with Rome, but then you've also got this system. And what history tells us is when Herod the Great came and, and um, took over on behalf of Rome, one of the first things Herod did was slaughter any Jewish people he thought was going to oppose him, any Jewish leaders, and then he put in their place other Jewish people who were going to work with him and be sympathizers. And the way he did that was he gave them land. Now this wasn't land just out there for the grabs, anybody could have it. He took people's land, probably people he killed, or poor people, peasants, took their land gave it to his folks, and then those people are now working the land that they used to own. So again, people lured by wealth through the, the hierarchy and the hierarchical and patronage system that was very present in Galilee and Judea during this time. And then the rocky ground are, are simply, I mean, you could say it's the apathetic people. Um, a better word would probably be the ones who are folks who know what happens if they commit. The ones who are afraid of what Rome will do to them if they participate in this kingdom movement that Jesus has. Now, important to say what Jesus is talking about here with the kingdom, um, he is not talking about an afterlife. Just think about it if he is. Because if he's talking about an afterlife, the devil's there. Horns that choke you were there. Birds that snatch you were there. A sun that scorches you to death, that's there too. Right? It sounds like a terrible afterlife. Sounds more like hell. <laughs> so he's not talking about an afterlife. He's not talking about a belief system. The folks who are who represent the good soil are not the ones who accept a belief system or a dogma. Jesus is not talking about a belief system or a dogma. Jesus is talking specifically about people who participate in this kingdom movement of his. That kingdom movement is the kingdom of heaven is here and now. And when you participate in it by being good news for the poor, sight for the blind, clothes for the naked, food for the hungry, uh, comfort for the, the mourners who uh, step outside of hierarchy and work towards egalitarian This is not people who, and, and, and this is what I love about this parable, this is not about people who get to passively benefit. This is people
counted and yielding fruit. Right? This is not a passive thing, it's an active thing. You are a passive person in your belief and you yield fruit. You are active in this and that's what yields fruit. And then and then the other kind of offensive crazy thing, right, is Jesus says what you produce is a hundredfold sixty-three. That's an insane amount. That's not a simple yield of crop that year. So Jesus is also talking to farmers probably working on someone else's land, telling them, if you do this, you're going to yield beyond what you ever conceived of. And for them, they're probably thinking, who the heck are you to tell us that? You don't know what we're going to go through. Well, maybe Jesus does. But to say, like, that's what's going to happen with the grind that we work and do, etc., that's an offensive part of this parable as well. But it's important to know, Jesus, this whole parable is specifically about this kingdom movement and those who choose to participate in it versus those who don't or those who collaborate against it. Does that make sense so far? So then we have our two audiences because there is, and I, 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 I always want to give you guys the historical context of what's going on because there are probably two different things going on. This is probably a parable that the historical Jesus told. And when we think about the historical Jesus sitting by a lake, it's probably uh, the, the Sea of Galilee telling this story to a bunch of people who either fish for Rome or farm for Rome, um, that, that's the good news for them. That it, I mean, this is kind of a, uh, an organizing principle. You know, Jesus, in a way, is saying, look, our power has been stripped of us. We're at the bottom of the ladder. But if we organize with each other and live out a way of life of love and compassion and caring for one another, then it doesn't matter what the powers that be try to do to us. We can actually actually have a fruitful life. God can be present in that experience if we do it. Um, that's probably the historical thing happening with Jesus. It's probably an anti-Roman message. It's probably an anti-temple uh, leader message. Not the same thing with Matthew, though. By the time Matthew is writing his gospel, the Jewish revolt has happened. Rome has squashed it. They've killed everybody. Uh, we're talking maybe ten years after the Revolt is over and the temple has been destroyed. Uh, Matthew is also writing to a Jewish audience. He's not writing to Gentiles. So he's writing to people who are Jewish who have gone through this or have family members that have gone through the, the Jewish revolt and the Roman destruction of Jerusalem. Um, and Matthew is still trying to keep that message consistent. Look, guys, this bad, horrible thing has happened to us, but if we stay true, like what he said, keeping the faith, if we stay true to this movement, we're going to be okay. Now, the unique thing that's probably happening here is Matthew's Jewish Christian audience, meaning their followers of Christ, are looking around and saying, if this message is so important and so meaningful, why aren't those Jews over there following it? Why are those Jews over there not disciples of Jesus and this kingdom movement? And so Matthew is telling them a story of how there are different plots of earth and people fall within those different realms. Now, I, as I said, it's not apathy. Um, rocky path, it's probably fear. Matthew's probably telling his audience because those folks are afraid. Those folks don't want to participate in this because they're worried about what's going to happen to them. Would those folks say the same thing? No. No. They'd probably say, well, we just don't believe in Jesus is the Messiah. You know, we're, we're sticking with our normal way of life. Uh, but for Matthew's audience, that's kind of helping them understand why there are people who participate in this movement and then there are those 
considers us today. So this is not a, because it's a parable, it's not an area where I want to say, hey, this is what it means. Now, go do it. I think this parable is something that kind of transcends time and space. It can speak to us differently at different times. There are different elements of this parable. Um, I want to start with the explicit, which is what I already said. If you want to know the historical context of this parable for yourself, for your own edification, for your own knowledge, that's it. God sows the kingdom movement through Jesus' proclamation, and those who respond to it, participate in it, yield fruit through that participation. That kingdom movement <coughs> is not a movement centered on creating a belief system or converting people or evangelizing. It is a movement centered in justice starting at the outside of the margins with the least of these
when pastor says cast your seed everywhere, please don't take that the wrong way. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs>
yourself the grace to be able to be in any of these different spots because just like you were saying the only constant is change yeah so if you are in a bad place and you feel like you're not you're not being whatever a good christian or a good person or you're not doing your best you need to be able to recognize to give yourself the grace because it's temporary it will turn into something else yes so i think the grace in this parable again is that that the sower is nuts right the sower is just throwing seed everywhere no matter what and um for me it's that the sower just is so generous that the sower doesn't supremacy or something or um, then once you might have to adjust yourself for what you may see as you know taking from your pie then you're like no no this is too much for me 
so I think that's <clears throat> interesting and also I just can't help but think of all the onslaught of news and headlines that we continually receive and then at what point do we just get numb like you know I feel like that is kind of a generational thing going on right now where there's just so much news and heartbreak and injustice and it's like then you just disconnect yourself yeah. I wonder if because um, I, 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 I resonate with that as well but I'm sure a lot of us do and I wonder if maybe it's a, a plea like when you do find yourself in that moment of good soil that you just immerse yourself in it be present in it so that when you're not in it
but with this new light, it actually becomes one of like uh, more equity, more seeing us all, all of ourselves uh, in, in these different terrains. And and the phrase that came to mind right now was like, grow where you are planted. You know, we have that phrase, grow where you are planted, and wherever you're planted, what can you do to till the soil, to make good soil, whatever you're given, what can you do to produce good fruit with it, you know? But I think in the past I've also used it in a way to like beat myself up, to like uh, say I'm not doing, I'm not good enough, I'm not doing enough, you know, I need to do more, I'm not being good seed enough, um, and this just kind of allows me to just accept myself a bit more. I keep going back to your story with your sermon this morning about the pots and how the cracked pot had was able to the, the farmer kept the cracked pot on one side so that there were the flowers and the cracked pot had no idea and that at the end he saw the he, the cracked pot saw the reward of those flowers and what his what he thought his shortcoming was you know, and how it, it turned it around. And so I, I think what you're saying about that there's divine, that sometimes we don't see and we have to have the patience. And that's part of the surprise of the divine of like, wow, you know, I think my life is totally screwed, but then something happens and you're like, maybe, maybe now I'm in good soil. have tried to figure out uh, it seems to me there's a real difference between the first four people and the good ground and it seems like the first four people they calculate they have a certain story about what the seed means for them either they're scared or they don't pay any attention but in the in the last thing all he says is some uh, other seeds fall on good soil and um, they understand. The person understands and then something happens. And that something is, uh, brings forth abundance. And in that community, I would think, one of the two of the things, one is, yeah, and of course I'm gonna share that. And so there's, it seems like there's a lack for them. Uh, the difference to me is that there's not a judgment there's not a story, it just happens and you share what happened. Whereas the other four, the people really are judging themselves, judging the environment they're in, judging what's going on and deciding on that. And so being just present and living and uh, uh, being loving uh, perhaps is what's being pointed to. Uh, 
people and the, the good soil. Um, is that like just like a stroke of good luck or is that like through action? It's close. And, <laughs> um, like through action. It is through action. It's through participation. Um, it's not, it's, again, it's not passive. Because um, I'm used to the church saying, like, you believe in God, and then, like, anything good that happens to you is then, like, because of your beliefs. You yeah. know, like, yeah. you must truly believe since you, whatever, X, yeah. Y, Z. So I'm just trying to like get out of that mindset. So can you think about it in that like a fruit holds new seeds and that then you have to like No. Um what well, yeah, I mean you could, yeah, you're just not that's not probably going to be the original intent of the story, but that's definitely a direction you can go with it. Um, I think what you're kinda of getting at is more what's the historical kind of component of this. And you're talking about not just yielding seed, but actually yielding food, yielding abundance, yielding sustenance for people who live, you know, essentially day to day. Um, and you can remove belief from this story and just keep the active participation part, and it's the same story. Does that make sense? Yeah. This has nothing to do with your belief in God or Jesus as Lord. This has to do with choosing to participate in the movement that Jesus has presented to people. And that, that movement does not include the component of in intellectual dogma. And, and so um, a Muslim can participate in it, a Hindu person can participate in it, uh, a Jewish person, Jewish Christian Muslim person can participate <laughs> in it. how um, in terms of belief again like Jesus isn't saying believe in me as the son of God and then you'll have all of these fruits which is how it gets interpreted today but speaking to a Jewish audience and understanding that how, how the Jewish people have been very um, poor justice in historically have been you know just it, yeah just gives me more appreciation for it not being about belief and recognizing that somebody doesn't have to be believing in Jesus in order to be producing good fruit. <coughs> that people who don't believe in Jesus still produce good fruit. And you could be Jewish and not believe in <coughs> and it, you know, as the Savior and produce good fruit and uh, be generous in 